Then Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, O you who have believed, la taqrabu salata, do not go near the prayer. Don't even go near salah. Don't even go near to performing the salah. Doesn't mean Allah is telling us don't pray salah. This is what some people do. They say, look, in the Quran Allah says, لا تقربوا salah, don't pray salah. So we don't pray salah. We're so obedient. But they haven't read the ayah completely. Don't go near the prayer when? وَأَنْتُمْ sukara. At the time while you are sukara intoxicated. Meaning when you are under the effects of a drug that you've taken, you're intoxicated, your mind is not functioning properly, then at that time, do not even go near prayer, meaning do not pray salah, do not even prepare for prayer. Prepare for prayer, meaning don't even do wudu at that time, because you might make a huge mistake when doing wudu. You might not pray properly. So instead of benefiting yourself, you'll be harming yourself. So what does this mean then? Only pray salah when you are awake and alert, when you're conscious and aware. Why? Because salah is what? It is in reality a connection between a servant and his Lord. In salah, you're talking to Allah. You're having a conversation with Allah. You know when you recite Surah Al-Fatiha and you say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah actually responds? You know that? He says, Hamidani Abdi, my servant has praised me. Yes. When you say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah responds. He says, Athna alayya abdi. My servant has praised me, has done thana. When you say, Maliki yawmiddin, Allah says, Majjadani abdi. My servant has glorified me. And when you make your dua at the end, Ihdina surat al-mustaqeem, surat al-ladina an'amta alayhim, ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim wal al-dalin. Allah says, Wali abdi ma sa'al. And for my servant is what he asks for. So what does it mean? That when you're glorifying Allah, when you're praising Allah in salah, you're actually having a conversation with Allah. And when you're having a conversation with someone, you better be attentive. You understand? You have to be attentive. You have to be conscious. You have to be aware. Because if you're not aware, then what's going to happen? You're going to end up saying something that's silly. That's dumb. Have you ever tried to have a conversation when you're half asleep with someone? Yeah, they're talking about something you're like, yeah, I went and and you stop mid-sentence. Or you're talking about things that they have no idea what you're saying. Right? And you look like a complete fool. Complete fool. It almost looks disrespectful. You know like when you're having a conversation with someone and you're distracted and you're thinking about something else and you start saying something that it's completely irrelevant. They weren't even talking about that. What does it show? You are so rude. You're so indifferent to them. You can't even pay attention to what they're saying. You can't even carry a proper conversation with them. So when we are not conscious, aware, alert in salah, this is something that's incorrect. This is why Allah says, don't even prepare for prayer, don't even pray salah when you are intoxicated. Because when you're intoxicated, your mind is not functioning properly. What does it mean by sukara? Sukara is the plural of sakran. And sakran, seen kafra, is the one whose aql is gone. Meaning the aql is not functioning properly. The mind is not functioning properly. Why? Because he's high. Okay? He's high. But he still experiences joy. He still experiences pleasure. And this is the difference between the one who is unconscious and the one who is intoxicated. The one who is unconscious, yes, even his mind is not functioning properly. But does he feel pleasure? Does he feel any joy? Nothing. 
But the one who is intoxicated, yes, his mind is not functioning properly, but he still feels joy and physical pleasure. Isn't that so? So this is the difference between the one who is sakran and the one who is unconscious. A poet, he said, وَنَشْرُبُهَا فَتَتْرُكُنَا مُلُوكًا And we drink it, meaning this alcohol, and it leaves us as kings. Meaning I become a king when I am high. And this is what happens with people, right? That for example, Hamza radiallahu anhu, once he was drunk, and Ali radiallahu anhu's two camels passed by. So he went and he slaughtered the camels in his state of intoxication. And he brutally killed them and he took their liver out. And Allahu Akbar what? So Ali radiallahu anhu, he was really upset. So he went and complained to the Prophet ﷺ, this is what Hamza radiallahu anhu did to my camels. So the Prophet ﷺ went up to him and to ask him that what was going on. And Hamza radiallahu anhu in his intoxication, he said, aren't you my father's slaves? Like how dare you say this to me? I can do whatever I want. I'm the king. This is why when people are drunk, when they're intoxicated, what kind of things do they say to police officers? Huh? What kind of things do they say to the people who are around them? They feel as if they're the king. Right? So this is intoxication. But remember that sakr, an intoxicant, is that which affects the brain. So your brain is not functioning properly. Your aql is not functioning properly. You may be talking, but you're not talking properly. Okay? You may not remember anything that you said or did. May Allah protect us from that. One thing I'd like to make clear is that anesthesia is not sakr. Okay? Because that means you're unconscious. If a person is under the effects of anesthesia, that does not mean that they are drunk, they're intoxicated. Why? Because they don't feel any pleasure, no joy, nothing like that. Likewise, some people they say, you know, tea, you get addicted to it. It's haram. Don't have tea. Coffee, haram. Even these days the word haram is so cheap. Every little thing, haram, 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 haram. Right? But why do people say that it's haram? Some people who do say, because they say you get addicted to it. Remember, addiction is different from intoxicant. Okay? Is when you are addicted to something, it's a problem of the nafs and the body. Intoxicant affects your brain. There's a difference, right? So for example, a person may have a lot of tea, may have a lot of coffee, and if they don't have it, they sleep, or they can't function properly. So they have it. Their nafs is attached to it. Their body relies on it. Okay. But it doesn't mean that they get intoxicated. You understand? Likewise, a person may have alcohol once. That doesn't mean that they're addicted to it. So there's a difference between addiction and intoxication. What is haram is intoxicant. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that كُلُّ مُسْكِرٍ haram. Every muskir is haram. Every intoxicant is haram. Whether it is eaten or inhaled, smoked, or it is drunk. Yes. If there's a little bit of it. Yeah, because remember that if a large quantity of something intoxicates you, then a little quantity of that is also forbidden. If it intoxicates you. So if there is kind of alcohol, uh, some kind of liquor in chocolate, for example, that's not permissible. Okay? Why? Because it is an intoxicant. Okay? Now, when it comes to addiction, remember that it's a problem of the nafs and the body. But it doesn't mean that addictions are okay. So a person says, you know, like some people, they get addicted to some kind of medications. They don't have them, so they have withdrawal, right? Or for example, somebody's addicted to tea or somebody's addicted to some energy drink, right? Can you say that it's okay to be addicted to such things? 
You can't use the word haram. Or for example, cigarettes. Cigarettes don't intoxicate you. But what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Qur'an? لَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not kill yourselves. So if there is something that is harming your body, that is killing your body, then you're not allowed to have that. If it's destroying your liver, if it's destroying your heart, your lungs, you're not allowed to have that. Okay? Now this doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have tea. You can have it. But if the doctor says, stop, it's not good for you. The state that you're in, it's not good for you. Instead of helping you, it's actually harming you. Some pain medication, instead of helping a person, it's actually harming them. Then in that case, it is not correct for that individual to have it. Likewise, sometimes people drink one energy drink after the other. And what happens to them? They lose all their physical strength. They're almost falling unconscious. Right? So again, it's not good for them. But in this ayah, in particular, what is being mentioned? Sakr. That وَأَنْتُمْ sukara, While you're intoxicated, do not approach the prayer. Now, basically this means that do not pray until you know what you're saying, the words, the meaning, as well as the actions that you're performing. All three things, you should be aware of what you're saying, doing, and what it means. Because if you don't, then you're going to end up making great mistakes. Now remember that this was one of the first verses that was revealed concerning intoxicants. It was actually the second ayah revealed concerning intoxicants, which paved the way to its prohibition. There were four stages of the prohibition of sakr. The first stage was of ibaha, when it was not forbidden, not commanded. Nothing was mentioned concerning it. Which is why we see that Hamza anhu once you know, we learn stories about him when he was drunk. We learn stories about companions when they were drunk. In Medina, imagine. This was at the early stage. Then the ayah was revealed, which hinted towards abandoning it. Meaning people were encouraged to leave it. Which ayah was that? The one we read in Surah Al-Baqarah. يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا That there is a lot of sin in them. Yes, there are also benefits, but there is a lot of sin. And the sin is greater than the benefit. What did that encourage? Leave it. So some people left it. But some people who were addicts, who loved alcohol, they wouldn't leave it. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah, which prohibited people from drinking close to salah time. Now, if a person is told, don't even come near prayer, not to the masjid, not to the salah, don't even make wudu when you're drunk, then when is he going to drink? You have to pray five times a day. Isn't it? You have to pray five times a day. So if a person drinks in the night, he might not be conscious for fajr. If he drinks between fajr and zuhr, that's no fun. That's not party time, that's sleep time for many people, right? You understand what I mean? Zuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, like you're praying. So like this, you know, they were kind of moved away from drinking too much alcohol. Do you see what I mean? So their habit was broken. And then finally, the verse which mentions absolute prohibition, which is a verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah, was revealed in which Allah says, فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُنْتَهُونَ Are you going to stop or not? Meaning you better stop now. You're not allowed to consume it. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayah, do not pray while you are intoxicated until you know what you're saying. Hatta ta'lamu ma taqulun. Until you know what you're saying. When the effects are gone and you're fully conscious and aware, then you may start to pray. And by the way, this also means that a person should know the meaning of salah. 
Right? Because if you have no idea what, what you're saying, what kind of salah is that? Likewise, a person should also pay attention in salah. If you have no idea what, what you're saying, then that's not correct. Even if you know the meaning, but you're not focusing. You don't know whether you said Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim or Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Ala. You don't know if you said At-Tahiyyatullahi wa-Salawati wa-Tayyibat in the second rakah or not. That means your mind is somewhere else. You don't know what you're saying. Because if you knew what you were saying, you would have remembered it. You understand? So this proves to us the importance of knowing the meaning of salah, the importance of focusing in salah. And this also shows that when you're overwhelmed by your sleep, then in that state you should not pray. You understand? That you feel that if you go to sajda, you'll be out. Before you say the salam, you'll be out. In this state, don't pray. Because like we discussed earlier, it's rude. This is not how you have a conversation with someone. This is not how you talk to Rabbul Alameen. Alright? So what should you do if you're really sleepy? Go sleep and don't pray at all. Hmm? Yeah, go take a nap for three hours and wake up when the salah time is gone. Yeah? What should we do? First of all, be proactive. Don't wait till you're dead tired and then you're praying. Okay? Because if you wait until you, when you're dead tired and then you're praying, then whose fault is it? It's your fault. You understand? Secondly, do something to wake yourself up. Cup of tea. Okay. Energy drink. Yes. Drink water. Go take a shower. Okay. Open the window. Because sometimes you may be really hot because of which you are sleepy. Open the window. Do something to wake yourself up so that you can pray. Okay? وَلَا جُنُوبًا إِلَّا عَابِرِ سَبِيلٍ حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُوا And also do not pray, do not approach the prayer when you are junub. Junub is the person who is in the state of janaba. Okay? Junub is the person who is in the state of janaba. What is janaba? The state of impurity. Basically, janaba is because of two reasons. What are they? First of all, sexual intercourse. And secondly, ejaculation. So if a person is in the state of janaba and the time for prayer comes, Allah says, don't pray at that time. Don't pray in the state of janaba. Until when? Hatta Until you've taken a bath. So this means that when a person is in the state of janaba, he has to take a bath so that he or she can pray. But look, there is an exception in the middle. Illa abiri sabil. What does it mean by this? Abiri, abirin, plural of abir. Abir from ubur ain bara to cross. So abir, one who crosses. Sabil way. Abiri sabil has been understood in two ways. First of all, a traveler, someone who is traveling, crossing the way, meaning someone who is traveling. So do not pray in the state of Janaba. And when you're traveling, it's very likely that you will not find water. You will not be able to take a bath. But still, you can't pray in the state of Janaba, so what will you do? You will do tayammum. And the details of tayammum are mentioned afterwards. Okay? In the following words of the ayah. Secondly, abiri sabil has been understood as one who is just passing by, passing through. And in this meaning, the words la taqrabu salah are understood as do not approach the place of prayer, which is the masjid. So do not approach the place of prayer, meaning the masjid, when you are in the state of janaba, until you have taken a bath, and if you must, then you can may pass through the masjid, but don't stay there. Because at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the masjid was such that the doors of the houses of the people would open up into the masjid. 
So if somebody was going into their house, they would have to pass through the masjid. If somebody wanted to get out of their house, they would have to pass through the masjid. Now if a person became junub in the house, he has to take a bath, he needs water, he's going out, he's passing through the masjid. Now he's stuck. Is he going to have to ask someone to bring water to him or something? So this ayah tells us that a person can pass through the masjid in the state of janaba, but he should not stay in the masjid in the state of janaba. But what if he's not able to take a bath immediately? Then he may do wudu and stay in the masjid. Okay? But in order to pray, he still has to take a bath. You understand? Okay? Now remember, this is not talking about a menstruating woman. A menstruating woman is not junub. Junub is who? One of two causes, sexual intercourse or ejaculation. And a menstruating woman, her case is different. So, وَلَا جُنُبًا إِلَّا عَابِرِ سَبِيلٍ حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُ Now, what happens? Allah says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَى and if you are sick, marda plural of marid, aw ala safarin, or you are traveling, aw jahadum minkum, or one of you has come, min al ghaiit, from the toilet. Al ghaiit from the root letters ghain wauta, and ghaiit is a hollow place of privacy. A low place, a hollow place, it basically means to dig. So a hollow place of privacy where a person is alone. And what does it refer to? The toilet. Because a person, you know, it's expected that he should defecate, he should urinate when he has privacy in a bathroom, which is why urinals, you know, they're not correct, because you are using the washroom in public. Okay? So, أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ مِنَ الْغَائِطِ Someone has used the toilet. أَوْ لَامَسْتَمُ النِّسَاءَ Or you have touched the women. لَامَسْتَمْ from lumps. لَام ميم سين. What does lumps mean? Physical contact. When a body part touches another person's body part. مَس is to touch with the hand. But lumps is the touching of the body with another's body. And لَامَسْتُمُ nisa it refers to, it's basically an indirect way of saying that you've had relations with your wife. You have been intimate with your wives. لَامَسْتُمُ nisa So now several things have been mentioned. What? First of all, you're sick. And you need to do wudu or you need to take ghusl. But because you're so sick, if you do wudu or you take ghusl, what's going to happen? You're going to become even more sick. Doesn't it happen sometimes? You have so much fever, you're so cold, you're shivering. If you do wudu at that time, you will, your feel will become worse. You'll feel even more sick. Secondly, what's mentioned? Safar, journey. A person is traveling, and while he's traveling, it's time for prayer. He cannot find water. Or he has used the toilet. When he's used the toilet, he needs to do wudu to pray. Or he needs to take a bath in order to pray. So four things are mentioned over here. If you summarize it, Basically what is being stated is that there is a need to do wudu or ghusl so that you can pray. But sickness or unavailability of water is preventing you from doing wudu or take ghusl. Then what should you do? Don't pray. Yeah? Because this is what we do. If we're on the road or if we're traveling somewhere or if we're too busy or if we're sick, we say, don't pray. I have a headache. I'm not going to get up a fudger. I'm not going to pray. But is this what we should do? No, you have to pray in every state. Remember that. You have to pray. If you cannot do wudu because of your sickness or unavailability of water, then what's the option that you have? فَتَيَمَّمُوا Do tayammum. And if a person cannot even do tayammum, let's say a person is, you know, they went hiking and they fell down and they're holding onto a rope and they can't reach anything to make tayammum, but it's time for prayer. The sun set and it's getting darker. They feel that they have only a few moments to live. Even in that situation, do they have to pray? Yes. 
They have to pray. They can't do tayammum. Pray without tayammum. You know that? You cannot leave salah in any situation. As long as you're conscious, you have to pray. As long as you're alert, your mind is working, you have to pray. You have to. To the point that the scholar said that if a person does not have enough clothes even to cover his body, to cover his aura, then he will pray as is. If a person is trapped in a place that has impurity, that has filth, even there he will pray. If you're traveling in an airplane, you're flying in the sky, there's nowhere you can stand and pray, then you will sit and pray. But you have to pray. You cannot leave prayer. There's no excuse. What does it show? How important salah is. And here we are leaving salah for every little thing. Even if it's something like grocery shopping or window shopping, we will leave salah for that. This is wrong. Allah says, فَتَيَمَّمُوا What's the option? Do tayammum. Tayammum, ya mimim, literally means qasd, to intend. So tayammum is basically the intention of purity. Because when you're doing tayammum, you don't actually clean yourself, right? Your body may still be dirty. But you have intended to be pure and Allah has accepted that intention. How do you do tayammum? Sa'eedan tayyiban. Sa'eed from sa'ad'ayn dal and tayyib that is clean. Sa'id is basically the surface of the earth and what is on the surface of the earth. As long as it is considered a part of it. So for example, mud, sand, rock. Okay? And if on that mud is let's say pebbles or rocks, then is that Sa'id as well? Yes. Alright? That is also Sa'id. Salt, granite, okay? All these things, what are they? Sa'id. Now remember that when it comes to materials that the ground is not made of, such as trees, okay, or let's say a wooden floor, alright, or let's say snow, then is that sarid as well? No. It's not sarid. You cannot do tayammum with that. Unless these things are attached to the ground. Unless these things are attached to the ground. So for example, there is a tree that is on the ground, okay, I mean, it's actually a living tree. It's attached to the ground. Then you can do tayammum with the tree. Alright? Likewise, if you're standing on a glacier, then that ice that's under your feet is actually the ground. Do you see what I mean? So you can do tayammum with that as well. But if there is a twig, a branch that has fallen off a tree, is sitting on the ground. Can you do tayammum with that twig, with that branch? No. If there is snow that has fallen from the sky, is sitting on the ground, on the street, on the path, then can you do tayammum with that? No, you cannot. I mean, it's cold, right? When there's snow, it's going to be cold. How can you do tayammum with that? Yeah, if there's no water, you can't do wudu with that snow, by the way, because when you do wudu, you have to wash. Okay? Then there's the option of tayammum. You do tayammum with other materials, right? So for example, if there's a tree nearby, and you know that it's in the ground, then you go to tayammum with that. Okay? Now, many people have this question, but what about the dust? That's maybe on the dashboard, or on the wall, or something like that. So in that case, remember that if a wall is built of something that comes from the earth, such as rocks or mud bricks, then it is permissible to use that for tayammum. Okay? So for example, a brick wall then you can do tayammum with that. But if the wall is covered with wood, your walls over here, they're covered with wood, right? Or with paint. So that the natural material is sealed. Alright? Is sealed. There's a coating on it 
that has sealed the natural material, then you cannot do tayammum with that. But if there is dust on it, okay, so for example, a wall, a carpet, there is dust on it, then you can use that dust for tayammum. Why? Because the dust comes from where? From the ground. Are you getting it? Should I not tell you these things? Maybe I should stop. You know what? When it comes to tayammum, we have a lot of questions. When you're stuck in traffic and it's snowing and you have to pray Maghrib, what will you do? You have to know what you're allowed to do. So basically to summarize, what is Sa'id? Sa'id is the ground, the natural material that ground is made of. Whatever it may be. Whether it is the soil itself or what is on the soil. But if it is something that the soil is not generally made of, like wood or paint or plastic, alright, then you don't do tayammum with that. Unless it is joined to the earth. So for example, wood, it is joined to the earth. Ice glacier, it is joined to the earth. Then you can do tayammum with that. If the natural material is sealed, for example, granite countertop, but it's sealed, alright? If you touch it, there's nothing that's gonna come. It's sealed. Then in that case, if there's dust on it, you can do tayammum with that dust. Why? Because the dust came from where? From the ground. But remember one thing. That dust is not a condition. Meaning that, for example, you're using some rocks which are not sealed. Okay? So you just take those rocks and you just rub them on your hand and you're doing tayammum with that. Okay. But there's no dust that's coming on your hand. Dust is not a condition. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, when he did tayammum, how did he show? That he demonstrated it to Ammar bin Yasir. He pat his hands on the ground and he blew the dust off. And then he wiped his face and then his hands. If dust was a condition, then what would he have done? He would not have blown it off. So if there is, let's say, a stone tile, it's not sealed, but it's clean. When you touch it, there's no dust. There's no part of the stone that's going to come on your hand. You can still do tayammum with that. All right? Dust you can do tayammum with, but where there's no dust because the soil is hard. Let's say a glacier. Where are you going to get dust from over there? But you can still do tayammum with that. So over here, what do we learn? فَتَيَمَّمُوا سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا How do you do tayammum? فَمْسَحُوا بِوُجُوهِكُمْ Wipe your faces وَأَيْدِيكُمْ And your hands. Wipe your faces and your hands. And this means that when you're doing tayammum, you wipe your face first and then you wipe your hands. In wudu, what do you do? You wash your hands first and then your face. But over here, what do we learn? That you wipe your face first and then your hands in tayammum. Inna Allah kana afuwan ghafura. Indeed, Allah is pardoning and forgiving. Afu, ainfa wa ghafur, ainfa ra. He pardons, he forgives. This is the reason why he has created such allowance and ease in our religion. Because if he was not that forgiving, he would not have created this ease for us. But what's the main lesson we learn here? Salah is mandatory no matter what situation you're in. Do wudu, take a bath. If you can't do it, sickness is preventing you, unavailability of water is preventing you, you have to do tayammum. If that is not possible, then you pray however you are. When it comes to the bed, a person is sick, they're on the bed constantly, right? And nobody's there to help them, nobody will bring any mud, sand, rock, nothing to them. How are they meant to do tayammum? Can they do tayammum from the sheets? From the pillow? Only if there is dust on it. And you shouldn't be lying on dusty sheets anyway. Okay? Only if there is dust, you can do tayammum. But can you do tayammum from cloth? No, you cannot. Why? 
because ground is not made from cloth. Carpet, this is not natural sa'id. Alright? But if there is dust on it, then you can do tayammum with that dust, not with the cloth. Alright? Recitation. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la taqrabus salata wa antum sukara hatta ta'lamu ma taqulun. حتى تعلموا ما تقولون ولا جنبا إلا عابري سبيل حتى تغتسلوا وإن كنتم مرضى أو على سفر أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط أو لامستم النساء فلم تجدوا أو لامستم النساء فلم تجدوا ما فتيمموا صعيدا طيبا فامسحوا بوجوهكم وأيديكم إن الله كان عفوا غفورا